Welcome to the SciDef Cybersecurity Podcast. I'm your host, Raymond Evans, and this is my co-host, Michael Fairweather. We're here to provide you with the cybersecurity news that matters to help you in the cyber realm. We are proud members of the Pod Bros Podcast Network. Check them out at podbros.com. Welcome to the SciDef Cybersecurity Podcast, everybody. We do not have Michael with us this week due to him having some other work that he has to attend to. Uh, however, we do have two awesome guest co-hosts with us. First, we have Jason Street from Pony Express. Hello. Thank you for having me. I really enjoy it. And we also have Ben Miller, who is a cybersecurity specialist out at St. Louis. Hello, podcaster people. Thanks for listening Yet again. This year was a, a bit of a crazy year for cybersecurity. There's a lot of lessons learned, some major breaches that were experienced from U.S. companies. There were 11 major data breaches that resulted in millions upon millions of people having their personal data lost. There were over 120 new million strains of malware that were discovered in 2015 as well. And home users with the rise of Internet of Thing devices also saw the rise of Internet of Thing attacks with things like baby monitors being attacked by individuals who decided to um, hop on and say creepy stuff to babies while they slept. On this week's episode, we will be doing a wrap-up of three different stories that myself, Jason, and Ben think are the more important or the most impactful stories of 2015. So myself, I will be talking about Ashley Madison. What do you got for us, Ben? What will you be talking about? So I wanted to talk about the OPM hack and kind of the long timeline and the kind of unique fallout from attack an attack of that magnitude and what may have been taken. Right on. It's a very impactful story. It affected millions of people. What story do you have for us, Jason? Uh, I think I'm going to cover the multiple epic fails that was the Sony fiasco. Our listeners know how much we love Sony and uh, we love how much they care about the cybersecurity within their company and, and their defenses. So to start things off, I'm going to uh, talk about the Ashley Madison hack. July 15th of 2015, the hack was first announced by the Ashley Madison team. They had put out a statement saying that the hack occurred. Uh, and then on 21 July, 60 gigs of data of personal data was released to the public to comb through. Uh, following that, we also saw 25 gigs uh, in 18 and 20 of August. And from there, more and more leaks just kept occurring. And with those leaks, we saw things like uh, individuals' real names, their home addresses, search history that, they, that had been stored by the Ashley Madison system of the individuals, credit card data, and transaction records. So pretty personal identifiable information there. Of individuals. Another thing that was revealed from this hack was that the company didn't fully delete accounts of users who had actually paid uh, for the, their accounts to be deleted. And because of this and because of the breach, there's actually a 567 million class action lawsuit that's going up against uh, Ashley Madison. 
In the wake of this, we saw scammers attacking users, uh, attempting extortion and blackmailing individuals. And there was uh, some things that had come from here that, that were a bit of a, you know mud in the face of the Absha Madison company, such as that... Uh, it's actually kind of funny. Um, only 12,000 of the 5.5 million women accounts were active. And a high number of those accounts were created from the same IP address, which was a 127.0.0.1. So it was uh, created by a, a local host right there on their network. Uh, and the passwords were weakly encrypted, and a coding error allowed the passwords to be easily cracked. And the most common passwords that were discovered were 123456 and password. From this data, it was also suggested that female bots were on the site to trick men into getting uh, special accounts to talk to, to bots, essentially. So what was learned from this? Uh, I think the, the biggest things that were taken out of this were uh, privacy for users, users learning that, you know, even though that their data is with some big company who they're paying to expunge the data, there's no trusting that the company is actually going to follow through with this. And password policy for websites as well, here we see a, a large company who is supposed to be handling something as sensitive and... Uh, as disruptive as adultery, but they're allowing their users to create things like 123456 as their passwords, which is bad on their part. They should have had more stringent password policies for their users when creating their accounts. And also the way they stored their, their passwords, the, the encryption, and how it's run through the code needed to be better implemented as well. What do you guys think were the, the biggest impacts and takeaways from this story? Well, at first, I think it's just totally sad. I remember the good old days when guys were guys, girls were guys, and 14-year-olds were FBI agents. And now you're saying even the girls are not even are even human. They're bots now. That's just sort of sad. That, that, is, that is pretty sad. We used to not be able to, to trust people on the Internet before, but now those people might not even be people. That it might be some iteration of a clever bot, you know, chatting with you on the other end. Exactly. I, I think, uh, but uh, all seriousness, it's like, I mean, it, it's just the Ashley Madison, it's like, look, I don't care about the moral, irreprehensible actions or whatever and stuff about the side or what it caters to. It's just the moral, irreprehensible, you know, password security they had. I mean... Uh, I mean, the the passwords are not protected. They had no zero. Yeah, I mean, it was literally it was just a scam site to make money off of people. I don't think it was. Uh, if anybody got facilitated in an affair, that was a byproduct. It's like your organization sounds like what they did was it was a scam site to make money off of people that you know wanted to cheat. It, it wasn't something like where they actually cared at all about their clients or their customers. Uh, data or their security. I am not uh, accepting what the users did as a good thing or a bad thing. You know, I'm not judging anybody. Um, but with the sensitivity of what the users were doing, the company had a responsibility to protect that data more stringently than it did. And yeah. due to the way that it improperly handled the user's data and stored the data, resulted in people losing a lot of money because of extortion. Not only that, but uh, this breach actually caused a few people to commit suicide from it too. So they 
not only do they have you know people who have lost money, but now they have the blood of people on their hands who commit suicide because of the breach. I don't know that I'd agree that you know the company has a a requirement because sadly you know the company, unlike a person, has no moral requirements. But I do think that people need to take this as a lesson in nobody's looking out for you but yourself. No matter what the privacy laws are, no matter what uh, technology is that's supposed to protect you, at the end of the day, if you hand over your information to anyone, company, real person, what have you, you're opening yourself up to more risk than if you kept it to yourself. One of the things that came up um, in a little bit of research that I did on Ashley Madison uh, on my own uh, was that it wasn't so much just the people that had put their information out there willingly, but there were also people, because this site didn't have any type of uh, verification of identity other than taking a credit card, People got signed up by their buddies as a joke, or maybe uh, by their enemies as a way to get at them and make them look bad. And there's no way to prove who signed up who on the site from, again, their bad uh, set of policies. I completely agree with Jason that it was a scam from the get-go. Yeah, you know, their, their practices do look very uh, very scamish with what they were attempting and, and how the, the entire thing went down. What do you guys think about how Ashley Madison handled the situation after everything had happened? Well, technically, did they really even handle the situation? Was there a handling going on? It's like uh, I don't, I didn't see much evidence on that. Yeah, I didn't uh, catch much evidence uh, of them actually handling anything either, and uh, I think that that inaction from the company was also pretty impactful upon the users as well. I know from other breaches we've seen um, companies offering theft protection and things like that, but from Ashley Madison's part it looked like they just well, didn't care. I mean, yeah, they were handling it like, I mean, worse than the captain handled the Titanic. I mean, at least in the Titanic there were some lifeboats, you know, and there was room on the door for Leo, but um, but still, even with, I mean, even with that kind of security and stuff, you know, it's, I mean, even with that kind of uh, um, tragic event uh, <laughs> of massive fail, the Titanic was actually a better uh, case scenario on, you know, crisis management. What do you think, Ben? Uh, I agree. They didn't do a whole lot, and I think they kind of slunk away saying we don't really care about this and we don't think it's going to matter to us at the end of the day. They might have handled it the best way for somebody's pocketbook, but for the users, yeah, they just left them out to dry or to drown, to use uh, Jason's analogy. And again, sometimes that's what you're going to get. It's If you're the company that's doing that, ugh, bad for you. If you're the uh, person who's been injured, sadly, I don't think it's going to be completely uncommon as we move forward and see more of these type of breaches. Well, a good thing that came out of this was users learning that a site or something that they think is going to be secure and private, they can't always trust. One good thing that came out of this was opening customers' eyes and users' eyes a little bit, showing that, hey, you put your personal data out here on the Internet, there is absolutely no guarantee whatsoever that that's going to be safe uh, from prying eyes or from some sort of breach. I agree. It's one of those things people need to be mindful of handling their own security and their own privacy and don't think that the company is going to save you. Be prepared. Pack your own life uh, vest if you have to, so to speak. Yeah. Good lessons learned from that. 
Um, and also, you know, other companies can look at how Ashley Madison handled it or didn't handle it and, uh, and learn from that and learn what not to do. So from a company that didn't really know how to handle the situation or didn't handle it well, we're going to take a small break here to talk to you about something. Cybersecurity training has traditionally been really expensive and therefore too hard to come by for many people. The result of super high price training is a skill gap that has left the industry with over 1 million unfilled jobs, which is crazy. But CyberAware is working to change that. The cybersecurity training revolution has begun. Get free training courses and find jobs in the field at CyberAware.it. Employers looking for cybersecurity talent can also post jobs there. So again, free cybersecurity training and jobs at Cybrary. Let's move on to the story of a company that actually did handle their breach fairly well. Uh, I'm talking about OPM, Ben. I was a little surprised by that. I, I don't know if I'd characterize it as handle it very well, considering all the various things that went on. But the reason I wanted to highlight the OPM hack uh, is just to, again, mention these things are not a... Uh, as you see in the movies, as you see on CSI or Scorpion or even, uh, uh, any other shows that are out there, uh, they can take a long time. And we really sometimes don't know the face of the malicious actor. And I don't know if we ever will 100%. Uh, and that's an important thing to know. So the OPM hack, I'm actually cribbing some notes off of Brian Krebs, uh, who has an excellent uh, kind of sum-up, catch-up post back in, uh, back in June about here's all the things that we know. And he goes back to, starts with uh, July of 2014, uh, there was a breach that their investigation showed started in March of 2014, uh, and everybody worries about uh, attribution, uh, saying, oh, it was China that did it. And OPM, the, the Office of Personnel Management, offers uh, whatever employees might have been affected credit monitoring. Oh, great. Uh, then we know that some other breaches happened in August, November, in December, February of 2015. Anthem gets breached, and they say, oh, this looks like maybe the same actors. Then in May of 2015, Blue Cross, Experian, or excuse me, uh, Primera, Blue Cross. In May 2015, they're like, wait a second, there's some overlap here. And in June of 2015, OPM finally disclosed, hey, we have a breach. 4 million federal employees. We're going to give you 18 months free credit monitoring. Uh, I actually spent all of last year, the various conferences that I spoke at, starting off with a joke about, does anybody have a credit card that actually expired uh, by date instead of getting one reissued? It seemed like 2014, 2015. That never happened. I actually did have one card finally uh, make it and have to get expired. And then my replacement uh, got stolen. So, again, hey. So I, I only say that they handled it well because of the credit monitoring and everything that they paid for for uh, individuals. And that's, that's actually exactly what I want to talk about. One of the things that came to light later on was that part of what had been stolen, possibly, again, due to whatever uh, insight the OPM has to their internal networks. I know there's a kind of a mess of, of contractors that have uh, pieces of silos of information. One of the things that uh, may or may not be missing is the, uh, what we call the quantification of biometric identification. So you know, we have our fingerprints that we uh, 
used for biometric identification or, or maybe an iris scan or uh, blood vessels in your hands. All kinds of biometric indicators are what's used to identify us, and they're unique to us as a human being. That's awesome. Fortunately, for our computer systems to recognize those traits in us that are unique, there has to be a digital representation. And if you steal that digital representation, unlike a credit card, unlike uh, you know, maybe some other sensitive information about you, like an address or a telephone number, uh, I can't get a replacement fingerprint. I can't get a replacement iris representation. So if you steal that information, credit monitoring, anything else like that, it's not going to help me. Those indicators are never going to change unless I burn off all my fingerprints like uh, the original Men in Black. And even then, uh, somebody's still got my originals on file, sadly. So I've got friends all around D.C., all around the, the U.S. They're still getting their letters of notification that this breach happened and that you know, some of their information may have been included. And they're kind of coming to grips with this, oh, great, I've got more credit monitoring. But what else could be stolen? You, know, you talk about clearances and, and the background checks that people go through to handle sensitive uh, nation state level information. There's a lot of information sitting out there about these people. And now it's in the hands of who knows who. Uh, and that's really scary. And it's something that I think we as, a, uh, as an industry need to start thinking about, well, what can we do? to fight back against these breaches in the event of this information being sold. And I don't think I have a great solution, but you know, just being more aware of what is it that makes us unique and how we represent ourselves to these computer systems, that information maybe needs to be treated even more carefully than my credit card numbers, my bank account stuff that can be replaced. And what can we do about that? I don't know. I'm always going to say better inventory and better monitoring will stop stuff like this from being as bad as this. And that's just what I've seen work in the past. Encrypt everything. And encrypt it correctly, store the keys correctly, and watch who's touching it, uh, even in its encrypted form. Yes. That's what, that's what I say uh, You know, could have saved this OPM breach. Uh, well, saved... Um, people from having the data immediately accessible um, was it would be proper encryption or uh, you know strong encryption on the systems that were breached. One of the things that uh, I always want to bring up with people that are asking, okay, you say encrypt everything. Uh, what does that mean? A lot of people need to be kind of walked through the basics of how do you pick an encryption? How do you implement the encryption? How do you deploy it? How do you monitor it afterwards? There's a whole a uh, worldview that has to change uh, that people need to go through and kind of think this whole prudent man idea out of what ought I do to protect this stuff that I'm collecting. And the best place that I have ever seen to start, because so many companies out there have no idea where to start, is with inventory. Do you know what you're trying to protect? What all information do you have under your ownership? And with that, what all people are you employing? to protect that information and what all systems and software you have in place. You have those things in place and you know them or have you know, groups of people that know them, the hardware, the software, the people, the data. Then you can start to figure out what you're going to do to protect it. If we have to start somewhere, start with that. If you're a small business and have no idea where to start, start with that. 
I totally agree with you. Uh, the inventory aspect of it is very, very important. Because if you don't know what you have, you're not going to know what you're going to protect. And if you don't know what you need to protect, like those extra items that may have uh, gotten out there, if you don't know your inventory well, then things are going to get out there and get stolen that you're not going to be aware of that are out there. And you're, gonna, you're not going to be taking those additional recovery measures or uh, protection measures after the breach to uh, protect those items that were stolen as well. Well, and, and having worked a few breaches before uh, as they try and figure out who done it afterwards, oftentimes the same thing that gets you breached is the same thing that keeps you from figuring out what happened. It's that you don't know what you had, what was going on at any one point in time or uh, during an event. You know, we've got all these... Uh, Internet of Things and computer devices and databases and people interacting with them, and we have no clear this is what's going on uh, in my environment. And it just, you know, I've seen it from both sides of attacking it and trying to defend it afterwards, and it's not pretty. And we need to start, you know, again, as personal uh, Internet citizens, we need to kind of protect our own stuff and know what we've got in our houses, and as a responsible business. Uh, person, we need to have that same level of, of knowledge or trust the people that have that knowledge uh, and empower them to do Well, I mean, and I think one of the things that, that pisses me off the most and that we're not really chastising is enough is, is the government. This is a government operation. This is the people that are saying, hey, we want you to trust us with encryption keys because, yeah, we're cool at keeping data safe. This is the same government that was like, hey, yeah, we don't mind stealing everybody's secrets. Oh, wait, one of our contractors stole all your secrets. Oops, our bad. And, I mean, you're trusting the government to keep all this stuff safe and, and, and try to, to be trustworthy of uh, keeping encryption keys and keeping the TSA locks uh, secured. And then they have this massive breach showing that they can't even secure the data that they know is going to be valuable uh, to foreign uh, nations. They know that this data is going to be valuable for... Uh, criminal elements. Uh, they know that this is uh, uh, valuable information that is going to be damaging to the people that trusted them with that information, uh, with their fingerprint data, with their with their social security, with all their information, with all their history background. It's like they knew the severity of this data, the sensitivity of this data, and still it was able to be uh, stolen. I completely agree with Jason. I mean, the people need to be more mad about this than they are, but sadly, you know, there's there's a few of us in the the information security industry that are, uh, you know, arguing that this really shouldn't happen. And then, you know, this whole CISA bill just went through here recently, and most of the people that I know outside of our, uh, you know, the, the group of people that I know are paying attention to this are just like, oh, what? There's something going on in the government again? They never do anything at all, much less right or wrong. When now they're pretty consistently doing things badly, and we really need to do something about that, but unfortunately we can't get people uh, to even care or bother. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, currently we're, we're in a time, it's kind of like early internet age uh, type of mentality where, you know, early internet age, early, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, stuff like that, people were, you know, trying to figure out malware uh, and trying to figure out how to stop malware, and you know, people didn't really understand it. Um, 
And I, I think right now we're we're now in a time of, you know, trying to figure out prevention of data breaches and trying to figure out uh, what a data breach looks like and um, things like that. So it's a big, big learning time for everybody. And uh, I, I think that the OPM breach and other big breaches this year, such as Anthem, really opened up the, the public's eyes uh, to the world of cybersecurity. And I think that's one of the big things that came out of OPM was putting you know, the world of cybersecurity in front of everybody's eyes. And I think that was a really good thing. I mean, the, the breach is bad. Yes, it was a terrible thing. But, you know, it, it jump-started um, people wanting to figure out how to prevent things and how to detect things better. Any opinions? I would love for there to be a time when we actually can educate people without having to point at these horrendous, like, here's the mistakes. I'd like to think that you know, one Titanic was enough for shipbuilders to be a little bit more mindful, but it takes like 20 million of these breaches for people to think, oh, maybe I need to be worried about protecting my information as an individual instead of trusting my government, my company, uh, whoever, my vendor, uh, with the security. I have to say, I, I think that it's gotten better. It's, I mean, I this year I spent a lot of time speaking outside of our echo chamber, speaking at U.S. Chamber of Commerce events, uh, banking events. I spoke at a uh, the National Wholesale Beer Association. It's like, and the key thing is that they were actually interested in security. People were actually like, that actually took. Uh, I got time to talk to these CEOs and these owners of their companies to explain to them, these are the real threats, this is how easy this can happen, uh, these are some of the things that you need to do to better protect yourself and your, and your company. So I think they're starting to learn, and, and I hate saying this, but uh, because I really, it's really hard to say that there was anything positive coming out of CSI Cyber and Scorpion, uh, but if you could list one halfway possibly, you know, semi-positive thing is that people are at least understanding that there is such a thing as uh, computer security and something that they need to, you know, there is something going on. I mean, it, I now know the frustration that every doctor goes through when they watch an episode of ER. Uh, it's like, it's tragic, it's a tragic and sad feeling for those people, uh, but uh, I think it does start getting people more interested in learning what, how their data is at risk, how they can be attacked online. Uh, so it is helping with that. But overall, it's just been a general awareness. It's like we need to start uh, not just informing the general public, but we need to derive more activity and stuff, you know, into um, the politicians into the uh, uh, politics. It's like I just did a, a blog post I worked on. I was working on. I'm talking about the candidate security and stuff, you know, on the campaign trail because of some of the issues that they face. We're, we're talking about people who are on the subcommittee for the environment taking a snowball into the uh, Capitol and saying, well, it's snowing outside, so therefore there's no climate change. That's their scientific proof. Uh, we have people who are on the technological uh, subcommittee thing talking about the Internet as a series of tubes. It's not a dump truck. It's not a series yeah. of tubes? I'm sorry. I, I, I know Ben 10 is still in your tubes clogging your nets, but um, it, it, is, it is just one of the basic things. We need to start getting to the people and educating the people 
who are making the laws. It's like because uh, while everybody was worried about Star Wars and stuff, you know, and the surprise cameo that Yoda made. Oh, sorry, spoiler alert. Um, it's like uh, you've got uh, <laughs> you've got the whole thing of uh, the CISA bill passing uh, inside the omnibus bill. So where's the outrage? Everybody was so busy watching Star Wars, we we let that that bill just went right through. Uh, and what's going to happen now? Where is the uh, the action and stuff? You know, for people to to be outraged to say, hey, you know, we don't want this buying to be going on. I mean, I don't even know how to sound like a proper activist, you know, let's rile everybody up. Uh, I just know it was bogus and bad, and we should feel bad, and the government should feel bad for, for putting that in there. I, I cannot disagree with you, Jason, about we need to get more involved with politics, but I really don't want to be the person to be involved in politics either. Uh, I'm a big fan of Me? the person, the people we need to have up there need to represent us, and I hope we can make that happen and it requires a lot more of that voting thing that people my age and younger hate doing. But I, I would like to state that one of the things that I've always said when it comes to politics is that I believe every Republican, every Democrat, every independent candidate that gets into office, that tries to get into office, has to at least have at some foundation they want what's best for the country, what's best for America. They may disagree with how it's to be what's best. They may disagree on the ways to get to there to what's best for America. But I don't think they're going into politics to go, hey, I want to bring down the country. Let's become a politician. You know, let's become a congressman. That'll teach them. No, it's like I think they really want what's best. So I don't think that a lot of these uh, congressmen that are doing this stuff, they're not doing it because of just partisan politics. I think they do it out of ignorance. They don't understand. They're trying to do what's best for the country based on their limited knowledge. And the road to certain someplace, I think, is paved with the best intentions. It's like, uh, but the problem is, is like there needs to be more education. Not trying to dictate policy, not trying to tell them, hey, this is the way we think you should run the government, but saying, hey, before you vote on this bill, before you make this declare, uh, declaration on this technology, here's the facts on it. This is what the actual threats are. This is what how the technology works. This is why uh, censoring this is impossible. This is the reason why encryption must be kept uh, encrypted. Uh, these are the, the issues that you knew. I'm talking about just generally educating on a nonpartisan level on all the parties, educating them on the actual facts. Let them make the laws. That's their job. But at least us have a voice and an educational voice. And before they make those laws and before they decide those things, they at least can do it fully understanding what the problem is. Yeah, I, I do have to agree with you on that one. There is a large lack of education and understanding as to what you know the cybersecurity world is and you know what the internet is and how it works. There's there's a lot of people who have opinions in uh, high offices or in, in companies that you know try to, to pass uh, rules for how things work that you know they don't understand how things work. I mean, look at Donald Trump. He thinks he can turn the internet off. Oh yeah, it's like, well, Bill Gates can't help him with that. So, and you know what's really funny? It's like, and this is one of the scary things about everything. People talk about this, like you know, it's like, well, you can't shut the internet off. 
is that you do realize that there's only 12 choke points in the U.S. coming in and out of the country. You could theoretically actually cut off all the Internet coming in and out of America. Yeah, yeah. but you still have the internal network. I, I completely That's agree. True. There, there are several really good ways to knock uh, the Internet down, and if you haven't talked to... Uh, uh, Paul Coggins, the the redneck hacker, about these, then you're missing out because there is some really good technology for yep. taking a lot of stuff, uh, and hopefully we don't see that come to pass. Look, all we have to do is cut the underwater cables. That's true. That's true. It's a, hey, Paul Coggins knows a lot about this kind of stuff and solar flares. Always ask him about solar flares when you get a chance to talk to him. He's very knowledgeable. Right on. Moving from... Uh, the OPM breach uh, onto uh, a breach of a company that uh, had a lot of spotlight and had a lot of attention. Uh, there was this, the the Sony hack that occurred this year. Uh, why don't you tell us about that, Jason? So, let me give you the layman's version of what occurred at Sony. This is my opinion. This is based on my observations and conversations. So you've got a warehouse, a company that does a warehouse, right? And inside that warehouse, they have all these filing cabinets with all this, you know, folders with paper, which we'll call data. So all these data is in these filing cabinets, right? Uh, and each filing cabinet is an employee's work desktop, so, so to speak. So just trying to compartmentalize it and try to give you a good visual. So, one night at, say, 8 o'clock at night, the real stealthy uh, cat burglars come in, and they come through the skylight, and they disable the alarm systems, and they go in, and they go, and they take open some of that data, uh, open those filing cabinets, and they take pictures, and they replace everything back the way it's supposed to be, probably, uh, maybe closing all the doors, maybe not closing them all the right way, and then, say, at 9.30, 10 p.m., well, another group of burglars come in because they heard it was a good time to, to, to rob this place, and they may have made it a little bit messier, and they, they broke in as well, and they stayed in there. They put some stuff in there, like a video camera to record what's going on and talk back to them see what's going on. And then around 11 p.m., you know, the employee that's supposed to be watching the warehouse they're in there, and they uh, they see that the, someone's been in there, and they're like, hey, you know what? Let's steal some of the stuff, too. Let's take some of the data out. Let's uh, let's do what we want to do, and let's keep a, 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 a small door open for us, and so we'll know to come back in. And then maybe around midnight, a, a nation state uh, decided to come in, but they were, like, bumbling, and they weren't really good at how to break in. They broke, in, they broke a window, and they got in, and all this other stuff. So the next morning, the police come. And they see all this evidence of all these uh, uh, intrusions. But, hey, you know what? We don't really like those nation-state guys. They're a bunch of a-holes. Let's say all of it was done by them. And what I'm basically stating is when you talk about um, Sony, everybody wants to say that it was North Korea. I am not denying that North Korea hacked Sony. I'm saying who didn't. It's like when the GOP did their hack and defaced the website, uh, defaced the desktops of the employees, uh, published all that information, stole all that data. That was a malicious. That took. That was passion. That was that was a heated a moment of uh, passion. 
That was not a crime of passion. That was someone that was actually vested in doing something damaging. I don't think nation states are that personally upset and angry at a company to do something like that. Um, what I think occurred was internal employees decided to go after Sony, decided to embarrass Sony, they decided to attack Sony, and then halfway through the uh, news cycle when people are talking about it, someone mentions, hey, there's that movie, you know, the interview coming out and speculating, do you think they were doing something with that? Uh, and then all of a sudden the employees were like, or were going, oh my gosh, that's right, North Korea, it was the North Koreans, let's put out a post and stuff saying, hey, we were totally about the interview, that's of course what we meant, and that's why we did it. It's like, the interview is horrible, it's like it should be banned. And America being the reactionary, like, oh my gosh, we, we can't, we gotta shut down, no theaters can, can show it. All this stuff was, I think, an afterthought by the real attackers. Uh, and one of the things is, this whole time that we're talking about, we're talking about the attackers, we're talking about the repercussions of the movie, but hardly anybody really ever talks about how horrible their internal security was. You do not, if you're going, I mean, they literally had a password of password for their private key certificate, and we know this because their private key certificates and stuff were in a folder labeled private keys on one of their servers. And over two months later, that cert was still unchanged where someone was able to write malware, signing it with that cert with the same private key password. So after two weeks, they still hadn't changed it. They left passwords and server IP addresses and maps inside folders that were easily accessible to anyone, to everyone. Um, it was just one failure on top of a failure on top of another failure. This was like a failure turducking from hell. And that's one of the biggest problems I don't think we're understanding. They've lost over a terabyte of data. How do you lose a terabyte of data? It's like, I mean, how do you not see that going, hmm, maybe we should check on that 45 gig file leaving and going over to Kathmandu. That might be something we want to investigate. I mean, who was checking this stuff out? So it's really hard for their security team to uh, see these breaches and see this exfiltration of data uh, when the security team isn't properly funded to do so. Um, the the company's CEOs uh, and well the the heads of the company um, were stated saying that they would rather not pay ten million dollars to save themselves from a one million dollar data breach. Uh, so that was a, a huge fault on the individuals who are running the company because they didn't have their their company properly equipped to prevent or to detect something like this. And I mean, and the fact that they were allowed to, you know, put their keys and just have their keys uh, stored unencrypted, and they were able to they actually, they also had password lists on, in Excel files that were just out there unencrypted on people's desktops that were easily found by just doing a, a search through the network for that the file name of password. I mean, it's ridiculous. And then on top of that, they stored all of their assets, their movies that were currently in production and that were waiting for release 
unencrypted also. They were just sitting there for anybody to literally just walk up and take. I mean, that's just that's just so many bad practices on so many levels. And, you know, it all goes back to um, the heads of the company, really, who are the ones who decide, you know, what section of the company gets proper funding. IT, nothing's broke. We haven't gotten breached yet. Let's not give them money. It's okay. And then when IT messes up and they get a breach, IT, what are you doing? You know, you weren't doing anything before, and you're not doing anything now. What's going on? There's a huge lack of communication throughout the chain of what is needed and educating. Uh, like we said, you know, before with people who make decisions, they weren't properly educated, um, and because of that, I, I, I think it was up to almost to criminal negligence. Sony fired a lot of their security information security people in May. It's like uh, they. They uh, had their staff was uh, uh, very uh, small. They, uh, but I mean, there are just basic failures that went on that should have been uh, noticed. Uh, in that, I mean, it's just it's it's a tell a fail from the beginning to the end. And I mean, you're going to be you could write books on uh, on what not to do just with this breach alone. I mean, they actually use like mostly every example in the book of what not to do. They did. I want to read that book, and I want it to be written by you, Jason. And then I want the the sunny commentary of and yeah. here's how not to do these things if you're the guy who's working for these executives or with these problems. And I know you have that power within you, sir. Hold on. But my talk next year is actually a talk on my fails. It's like I literally, my first slide is the uh, Devo motivational poster of the Titanic where it says mistakes. Sometimes your life is only meant as an example or as a warning to others. Uh, I mean, my whole talk next year is based on, uh, I talk about fails that I did as a red teamer, fails I did as a blue teamer, and fails I did within the community. And you take all those fails together that I've done in my lifetime you add them up into a nice little uh, seesaw balance thing, and they still would not come close to what Sony has done when it comes to failing on this breach. So my question is, what film company is going to make the movie about this event? Oh, my gosh. Um, I, I, hopefully it will be, uh, uh, be Sony because the irony is just uh, would be amazing. Uh, and also because their security so sucky, we can watch it first and set you know off a pirate bay, um, record his theaters. Um, yeah, it, it is. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It is just bad. I mean, it, it people. It surprises me how people have not really latched on to the severity of the internal failures of the blue team. And maybe it's because I like the blue team more. It's like that I feel more disappointed with the whole horrible lack of fail or response from the blue team on the Sony side of it. And I'm not talking about all the Sony. There, there, I know people that work in Sony security, uh, and there's different divisions. So I'm talking about specifically the movie division that was based in L.A. Uh, that that where most of this breach occurred. Uh, I mean, it was a failure of, of just general policy of, like, separation, uh, segmentation of the network. It was general failing of uh, good uh, uh, 
computer hygiene stuff, you know, we're keeping your passwords uh, not written down. It's like not having your sensitive data on everyone's uh, uh, public shares. Um, it was just, I mean, these are general policies. These are policies that we expect a mom and pop shop, uh, you know, to be able to, to adhere to. These are policies that we expect banks to adhere to. It's like a Fortune 50 or a Fortune 100 company should it be able to adhere to the same kind of policies. This was not a mom and pop shop. This was not someone saying, oh, we didn't think we were a target. You're freaking Sony. You knew you were a target. Your, your company's been hacked before. It's like you knew people were out there to get you. You know you had stuff that people wanted. It's like you can't act surprised. You can't act like uh, you didn't think it was important. You knew by actual fact, by historical empirical evidence, that you were a target and that you were being attacked. Very true, very true. So what would you say is the top lesson to come out of this? The the number one thing that should you know people should take away from the Sony breach? That I think one of the things that we need to that the Sony lesson helps reiterate and reinforces that there is no such thing as an internal network. Your internal network should be treated just as hostile as your external network. It's like you don't trust all the devices that are on that network. You need to segment off. Uh, I wrote a blog post on Pony Express's blog uh, called the submarine uh, way of thinking stuff, you know, the submarine uh, infrastructure, where you need to start compartmentalizing your departments like you, sub, uh, like you uh, compartmentalize a submarine. So that way if one part gets breached, if there is a breach, in, uh, submarines are built to be attacked. They, they're built to be breached, meaning that at some point something bad is going to happen, and we're going to maybe have to sacrifice one part of the submarine to make sure the rest of it stays functioning, the rest of everybody else lives. So that's the way your network needs to be done. So it's like if there is a breach or something's been contaminated, you don't lose the whole network, you don't lose the whole infrastructure, the rest of it can carry on, and then that compartment, that department, or that segment can be fixed and can be uh, responded to properly. Right on. Ben, what do you think is the number one takeaway for the OPM breach? Make sure that you know what you're guarding and how bad it's going to be if it's stolen. I have talked to so many clients and so many people that if you ask them, how does your company make money? They look at you like you've asked them something in ancient Greek or Egyptian. And that's not good. We have to know ourselves, you know, know those parts, like Jason was saying, that can be sacrificed maybe in the event of a crisis uh, and know what it is that we're protecting. And from there, we can go into, well, how should I be protected? Right on. And as for Ashley Madison, I think the biggest takeaway for that is that you need to protect your own privacy on the internet. Do not leave it up to some company. You are responsible for your own privacy on the internet and you are responsible ultimately if you place your trust in a company um, and you put your personal data out there. So, 2016. Ben, what do you think lies ahead for 2016? A lot of the same lessons being learned over and over again, and hopefully a few good ones sticking because there are people like Jason out there preaching the way it should be done properly. 
Right on. Lord. If, if, if anything good is dependent on me doing something, we're in some serious trouble, people. That Jason. what I was alluding to. Jason, what do you think uh, is coming for 2016? I think... I honestly... I like to be positive. I honestly think 2016 is actually the awakening of the user when it comes to security. It's like, I think it's when we start... Uh, hacking has gotten to the point now where it's socially acceptable, it's understood, it's like, even if it's done in caricature form on, on media, but um, I see uh, hackers getting a bigger table, uh, a bigger uh, seat at the table. Uh, I see uh, users actually understanding why their data is important. Uh, I see people more suspicious when they get an, e an email link, when they, when they see something uh, that's too good to be true on the internet. Uh, I, I see a, a point where we start understanding that, that, I mean, there was a time in this country and in every other country where cars didn't have locks. And then people started realizing that people were stealing cars and people would start, I mean, and that, that security in that industry had, there was a point where that happened. The, the first cars didn't come with locks. It's like we had to, to get to that point where we involved, where we saw what the risk was, and we started making countermeasures for it. When we started trying to understand, this is what, that's the same thing with any kind of crime, with any kind of criminal. And let's face it, when we talk about these breaches, we're not talking about hackers, we're talking about criminals using the methodologies of, uh, and the tools of hackers because it's more convenient to commit a crime. Just like robbers knew how to use the guns and stuff, you know, that gunsmiths made and cowboys used to shoot, you know, at, you know, whatever. It's like they uh, they use those to, to rob with. So it's like I see that evolution of, of the users actually understanding that this is criminal activity. And just like they have to lock their doors at night, just like they have to have their alarm system turned on and make sure they don't put their purse or their briefcase in their car when they leave, and they still do that sometimes, and they, people still make that mistake, but more people are understanding the dangers of that, uh, I think they're going to start understanding the computer security ramifications. They're going to start understanding how they're being attacked and how the crime is occurring on their computer and hopefully protecting themselves better with it. Right on. As for me, I think we're going to see a larger impact from the Internet of Things uh, in users' lives. Um, you know, users are going to be more aware of cybersecurity, just as Jason had said in 2016. And part of that is going to be because of devices that they're increasingly placing in the household. I mean, you got to have your toast be able to uh, be set with your smartphone. I know I do. Uh, I got to be able to turn my blender on from across the room. Uh, and all these things are going to be interconnected, and they're going to be opening up doors and vulnerabilities for attackers. And uh, I think we're going to see an increase in home data breaches uh, because of the increase of these attack surfaces that are going to be more prevalent in the household. Um, it's going to introduce a lot of interesting things uh, to the to the cybersecurity landscape, and it's, it's going to be crazy. 2016 is going to be an interesting year. 
I can't wait to see what can we I have ahead of us. You, can I share with you a, a spoiler for my third book? Go for it. Uh, one of the uh, uh, there's a character in the book that actually gets assassinated by the refrigerator. I like it. Uh, yeah. They're diabetic. They're 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 diabetic, and the uh, the attacker actually goes in and makes the refrigerator shut off because it's internet connected. It's an internet thing refrigerator, so it shuts the compute the refrigerator coolant down, destroys the insulin. Then it turns it back on, so it's back to being cold. And the diabetic goes and puts his insulin in, uh, not realizing anything had happened, and dies. It's a, you know, uh, an accurate look at what can actually happen uh, with these Internet of Things connected devices. It's just a matter of time before we get Internet of Things uh, ovens in the household becoming a, a regular thing, and then somebody remotely turning it on while somebody's on vacation and burning the house down. Yep. It's really scary. In my in my second, and the, the book I just released, they had a, uh, killing a guy with the uh, a smart drive with a car. It's like, because they hacked into the car. And Charlie Miller actually helped me with that part of it. So, and now it's like, that's actually more commonplace with the, the cars being hackable. So it's just amazing what to see next year when it comes with the refrigerators and the toasters and the microwaves. I mean, imagine a microwave. It's like and something going wrong with that. Yeah, crazy stuff. Yeah, I do not like the thoughts that you give me in any sense except for the literary interest, Jason. Those are scary, and I don't want to deal with those realities. I live in a scary world in my head. It's like uh, I love to share it. Well, let's be honest. The cybersecurity world is a very scary world. I mean, with the vulnerabilities that lie in industrial control systems, uh, Internet of Thing devices that are becoming present at home, you know things that can be done with your personal data now, the you know framing you for things. Uh, it's a it's a really scary place, and I'm I am very surprised we haven't seen uh, more serious items happen. You know, more serious events occur. You know that put that puts people's lives in danger. I I totally agree. It's just a matter of time before somebody does that, you know, somebody, or it's a matter of time before somebody accidentally does that. Uh, somebody throws some, a fuzzer at a network um, that houses an industrial control system for some electrical grid and accidentally, you know, turn off electricity for all of the Midwest or something like that. Agreed. Well, it was awesome having you both on and uh, having your insights and predictions of what's to come for 2016. Again, my guests were Ben Miller, cybersecurity specialist out in St. Louis, and Jason Street from Pony Express. Say to stay secure and change your passphrases. Right on. Using password. Be excellent to one another and be careful with information that you have. That'll work. Right on. All right, everybody. Stay safe. Keep your network safe. And have a week.